Good morning. I am Pastor Mike, and this week is week four of our series, Why, where we're diving into your questions on faith, spirituality, Christianity, and sometimes aliens, questions that have been challenging and lack simple answers. And that includes our question today, which was actually the most submitted question, why do bad things happen to good people or good things to bad people? Woof! Scott wasn't lying when he said I was going to get all the hard ones. And this is actually a baited switch. We've got kids up here to sing at you, and then we're going to dive into something quite dark. And let's be honest, that has a lot of baggage, right? This kind of a question carries a lot of pain. It carries memories and people that you think of when you ask it. I'm going to try to honor that today. But to start, I'm actually going to take a little detour. I want to share an epiphany that I've actually come to over the past few years thanks to social media. That is, humans are God-awful judges of just about everything. Can I get an amen? No, we, we are just really bad at evaluating data and making objective judgments based on what we find. And on the internet, I've actually found three general culprits. First, it seems that we often misunderstand how to use data in making objective judgments. As a movie buff, my favorite example is the website Rotten Tomatoes. For those who don't know, Rotten Tomatoes is a website that aggregates internet film reviews and then ultimately labels each as either good or bad, which it then averages into a score. For example, this one, 70 or 97% fresh or 97% reviews declare this movie good. Now, this is fine. This is good data. But the problem is, is that people seem to use this site poorly. They seem to use this to judge the quality of movies, even though that isn't what this score is capturing. Just think about it. That score reflects whether a movie was generally more likable or not. It is capturing general consensus not the actual quality of a film. Let me give you an example. Think of a Marvel movie. It can receive average, but generally positive reviews and ultimately get a higher score than a potentially better movie with more creative choices that created more room for disagreement about whether someone liked the movie or not. Which is how, for example, Iron Man is rated higher than the Shawshank Redemption on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, this website is helpful data, gauging whether a movie is generally likable to a broad audience, but not an objective measure of a movie's quality. And if you use it as such, you're going to judge that Iron Man was a better movie than Shawshank, and I personally believe that is a terrible, terrible, terrible take. <laughs> it's a terrible take. That's my personal opinion, which leads to culprit number two. We overvalue personal experience and preference, making judgments based on our personal biases or our ignorance. Another example from the interwebs. In 2018, the NBA All-Star vote had these results. Fan voting would have made Manu Ginobili, that's the guy right here on the right, an All-Star over the other guy, James Harden. Now, if you're a casual basketball fan, that might not be that surprising. Manu is a Hall of Famer, but... In 2018, he was 40, and he averaged 
nine points a game, which is 26 points a game fewer than our man here, James Harden. Clearly, fans voted based on personal preference. They liked Manu more than they liked Harden as a person. But let me ask you, was he better by any metric? No. And was the NBA All-Star vote supposed to be a popularity contest? No, it's about who's the better basketball player. Again, clearly, personal bias clouded objective judgment. And finally, the third culprit, this is my favorite, not really, humans can be mean-spirited without considering their impact on others. What the internet calls trolling Prime example, in 2007, Greenpeace tagged whales trying to protect them from poachers. And to raise awareness, they held an online poll to name these whales and kind of put public pressure on the poachers, which to no one's surprise was immediately swarmed by trolls from Reddit who voted Mr. Splashy Pants to a crushing victory and promptly turned this entire process into a meme, which lol, LOL, the internet is so funny. But actually think about what I just said. The bit swallowed the issue, and the internet ruined an attempt to do real good in our world for the sake of a 24-hour laugh. But, we ask, those are frivolous examples, Pastor Mike. Surely, we're objective judges with serious issues, like people and character. Well, bad news, psychology disagrees with you. There's something called the attribution bias that captures how humans tend to judge choices or outcomes and then attribute cause for them. And essentially what psychologists have found is that humans have two tendencies in this process of judging people. When judging ourselves, we attribute the cause of positive choices or outcomes to our character and negative ones to our circumstances. For example, when I succeed, it's because I'm a hard worker, I'm a good person. And when I fail, well, you know, I don't know, I was stressed, I snapped, but that's not me, that was my circumstances. Does that make sense? That's not too bad of a thing, except for here's the problem, the exact opposite is true when it comes to how we judge others. When someone else succeeds, we attribute the cause of that success, that positive choice or outcome to their circumstance. And when they have a negative outcome, they make a negative choice, we attribute it to their character. When someone succeeds instead of me, they got lucky. But when they fail, they're lazy, stupid. They're a bad person. I mean, just think about it. Let me ask you this. When someone hurts you, what is easier? Thinking they had so much going on. Their childhood was so hard. They had all these circumstances, this complex weave that we exist in as human beings or to jump immediately to that dude is a bad person which is easier. The second, right? That's the attribution bias. And the truth of the matter is a mixed bag of circumstance and character, but we're just really bad at judging that balance, especially in real time. Again, humans make for poor judges, which may seem like a tangent, but I actually believe it's critical for addressing this question, why do bad things happen to good people or good things to bad people. Because on one hand, there's a very clear biblical response to the more fundamental question underneath this one. And that question is, 
Why does suffering and chaos exist and hurt people? And I explored that actually in recent sermons on Job and Ecclesiastes during our spring series on wisdom, all of which are available on our podcast in Vimeo. To summarize, biblically speaking, we live in a universe that's both good and broken. God created everything good, but gave human beings the dignity of free will, which we promptly use to what? Make a mess of the place, correct? And the biblical story is about God's promise to rescue his creation from that breaking, to make all things right once again. But until he does in its fulfillment, suffering, chaos, and evil are all mixed in with the good that God intended. Thus, not all blessings and sufferings are based on merit. And they aren't objective metrics of whether someone is righteous or unrighteous. I mean, just see the story of Jesus, our God, who is a good person, hung on that cross. Obviously, that's not how the game works. That's not how our universe works. And it's also not how God operates within this gray universe. Jesus said God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, despite our world's brokenness, our God remains uncompromisingly generous. He doesn't dish out wrath or blessing after every action. But rather, because of who he is, he pours out loving generosity freely whether it's deserved or not, on everyone. And y'all, that is good news. Because we may like it if God would smite the bad guys, except for when we are the bad guys. (laughs) Am I right? And again, if you want to explore that part of our question, the nature of suffering and chaos in our universe, go check out those past sermons. Because for today, I start with our poor judging capacities because I actually want to address this question itself. Because notice, we don't ask why does suffering happen to people. We add our judgments to the question, don't we? We judge whether someone is good or bad, then judge whether they're getting what they deserve or not, and then we ask our question. In other words, there's an assumption underneath this question that we can objectively judge such things accurately. To which I ask, based on human nature, based on Twitter, based on the attribution bias, do we have any evidence for that at all? Are we really equipped to effectively and objectively judge anything, much less who's good or bad, what's deserved or undeserved? Do we? I don't think so. And if not, maybe maybe we need to reframe our question as we seek to parse out and respond to the brokenness in God's good world. And that's what I want to do today. That's what I want to explore. And to do so, I actually want to look at one of Jesus's parables from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Now, two things briefly. First, parables. Parables are the metaphorical stories that Jesus used to talk about the kingdom of God. They're layered They're open-ended, they're provocative, and they're designed to challenge us. So stay open-minded. Try to enter into the story we're about to go through. And second, we need to keep in mind the larger context of Matthew. You see, at this point in the gospel, Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been gathering quite the following. But opposition has begun to grow. 
especially from Israel's powerful leaders who he has been opposing. And they've begun plotting to kill Jesus, which has left his disciples with some pretty understandable questions. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're a good dude. If that's the case, why is this bad stuff happening to you? And more importantly, why aren't these bad people who are trying to kill you getting what they deserve? Those questions set the table. And into them, Jesus tells this parable. Beginning, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed among the wheat, or weeds among the wheat, and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now pause. A farmer sows seed, goes to bed, and awakes to discover two plants growing in his field. One he wanted, which is what? Wheat. Good job, church. Wheat is an important plant in the ancient world. Wheat makes bread. Bread was the staple of most Israelite diets, which means wheat is life. But while he was sleeping, another plant that he didn't sow sprouted up amongst the wheat. And we'll get to why in a second, but what is this plant called? Weeds. Now, the Greek here describes a very specific invasive plant in the region called darnel, or false wheat. We've got a picture of it right here. It's a weed that's not good for anything, but in its earliest stages of growth, what does it look like? It looks like wheat. It looks exactly like wheat. It's actually really interesting. You see, there's Roman laws about this plant, actually, because farmers would sow darnel in their enemies' wheat fields to take away nutrients from the plants that they wanted to grow, wheat, And that was because it wasn't identifiable. It wasn't really clear which was which until the damage was already done and the weeds had sucked up all that rain and that soil from the crop. So this farmer wakes up to good, life-giving wheat that he intended to grow, now battling for nutrients and soil with these weeds, and it's all mixed together, and it all looks the same, and oh, what a mess. What is he to do about it? Verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, the farmer answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So, the farmer's servants, his hired hands, arrive and they ask two good questions. First, where did all these weeds come from? Did you sow them? To which the farmer says, no. An enemy did this. Very vague, unhelpful information, but thank you, Jesus. Second, they ask, do you want us to pull up these weeds? Because that's what they've been hired to do, right? Take care of the farm. To which the farmer says, nope, that's someone else's job. And then the parable ends. Did that answer your guy's question? (laughs) But really, no, really, this speaks powerfully into our question if we're willing to wrestle. I want you just to sit with this because really this parable is all about these two questions that are asked. You see, first of all, we live in this good world 
that God created with the intention of growing abundant life within. Yet we can tell by looking at it that brokenness, suffering, injustice, and death are present in it too. So we ask, why? Who did this? And again, to that question, Jesus is frustratingly ambiguous. He simply says, an enemy, which deserves its own sermon. But for today, does Jesus provide any details about who this figure is? No. We know from the New Testament that he doesn't mean people because he calls enemies neighbor and tells us to love them, correct? We also know that at no point does Jesus talk about a mean red lizard figure that goes around making people do bad things. So get that out of your mind. Instead, what we find in the New Testament is that Jesus has a very nuanced, complex, and mysterious understanding of evil. For him, evil encompasses all the wrongness that we see in God's good world. Some caused by human choice, sin, selfishness, injustice, violence, and some that has nothing to do with our choices. That's simply caused by the chaos that seeped into creation. And all of that falls into the bucket that Jesus calls enemy here. He's not providing specific information. What he's doing is describing how he looks at our world and he sees all this wrongness mixed in with what God wants to grow that brokenness and pain that wasn't intended, what he describes here as an invasive plant that God, through Jesus, wants to uproot and get out of our world and us because it simply doesn't belong. And that's good news, right? Amen, that's beautiful. But it also brings us to the second question, which is where things get real. Because the surveys, they survey the same mess and they asked the farmer, well, surely you want us to pull up these weeds, right? You want us to do something about this, to get all these weeds out of your farm. To which the farmer says, in the strongest language possible, absolutely not. That's strange, right? Apparently, though, in the farmer's mind, his servants will just yank up the wheat because they are utterly lacking in the capacity the judge between what's a wheat and what's a weed. He says, don't even try. That's someone else's job, to sort everything out when the time comes. There is a harvester who can judge between the two, but that's definitely not you. That is not your job. Your job is to work in the field to do what? To grow wheat, period. And in that, for me at least, I think this parable comes alive. Jesus assumes that we are poor, 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 objective judges of what's wheat, what's a weed, what's good, what's bad, what's deserved, what's undeserved, what belongs or doesn't in his world, which is challenging. Because who's with me when I say this? We really love judging people and believing that we have a uniquely high capacity of perceptivity of who's good and who's bad but we aren't good judges by any metric, y'all. We misunderstand data. We lack objectivity. We get mean-spirited. We maximize the character defects of others while minimizing our own, and we make a mess of God's world in the process. Do we not? And Jesus says, stop it. Just stop it. Who do you think you are? 
in his opinion, the moment his disciples start thinking this way, they are heading towards tragedy. And y'all, just pick a decade in the last 2,000 years, and I promise you that you will find proof that he is right. Christians who overestimate their capacity to be judges, who decide that it's their job to be Jesus's righteous hand of wrath, and they commit horrors every single time in the process. Jesus believes that elevating ourselves to judge is simply not an acceptable job title as his disciples. It's just another attempt to elevate ourselves to God, the farmer, take his job, and in doing so, we're just sowing more weeds in his field, nurturing the very things that he wants out of us and our world while believing we're growing wheat. Yo, that's a tragedy. That's not our job. Jesus' servants have one job. What's our job? Church, can you say it with me? What's our job? Grow wheat. Should we judge and exclude other people? No. Stop it. Grow wheat. Oh, but no, no, no. Should we pull up the weeds and smite God's enemies? No. Stop it. What do we do? Grow wheat. Grow wheat. That's it. Because as Jesus reminds us in the closing of this parable, there is one who is capable of sorting out this mess. There is a good, objective harvester who is on a rescue mission, who hears the cries of the oppressed, the weak, the lost, the wounded. There is a God who will one day establish real justice and set all the suffering of this world right, that will set right all the chaos wrought throughout human history, who will wipe away every tear and remove the wrongness from his good world. There's a God who can do those things, and guess what? It ain't us. Just look at Twitter. It ain't us. It ain't us. And Jesus doesn't give us specific info on how that's all going to play out at the end of God's story. Instead, he reminds us to simply trust that our God will achieve his promised rescue. And until then, we are to stop playing judge, control what we can control, which is whether or not we grow wheat or weeds and trust God with the rest, which we can do because we have the story of Jesus where this God looked at this mess that we've made and instead of doing away with it, entered into it to heal it. Despite what we've done to ourselves, others, creation, despite all the weeds we've sown in this field, this God is that faithful, that committed, that in love with us and our world that he will make all things right at the time of the harvest. And Jesus believes that if we absorb that story, then God will do in and through us what he's always intended to do, grow wheat to grow an abundant harvest of wheat, goodness, life in his world. And that's good news, right? I get an amen. But the bad news is that we don't get to play judge in such a story. It's just off the table. We have zero right. You are not above or below, better or worse, more or less deserving than anyone because God's grace puts us all on the same level. Jesus says in those moments where we start stepping into that job, he says, humble yourself. Let God remove that weed sprouting up in your life again and grow wheat, period. So why do bad things happen to good people and good things to bad people? Well, y'all, it's a hard question 
And there are no perfect answers. But what I think Jesus would ask us to do is to look at the complexity of ourselves, others, and this world. This space where tragedies simply happen to people. And in that, he reminds us that our world is broken. That we can also have faith that within it, God pours out his love on everyone, including you, regardless of deserving or undeserving. And that's good news when you actually think about it. And then he'd say, you're asking the wrong question. You aren't as equipped at parsing out things like good and bad, deserved and undeserved as you think. Let God handle that because he is equipped. And he directs us back to the question we should have been asking from the beginning as we survey this messy world, which is simply, what is my job in it? Church, what's the answer? Grow wheat. So when we see things happen to people, in this broken world? Be they painful, beautiful, scary, easy, or hard? Should we judge them, determining whether they're good or bad, deciding what they deserve or don't deserve, like we're God's judge, jury, and executioner? Or should we look at everyone as our generous God does and seek to grow a harvest of wheat and life and how we love them as our neighbor, regardless of our bias, our short-sightedness, our resentment, and our selfish judgment? I know how I answer that question. But I challenge you to reflect on what you want to see more of in this world too. And to close, I don't know where you need to hear this parable. Maybe you're struggling with the same weeds sprouting up over and over and over again. Addiction, pride, judgmentalism, self-pity, anger, and it just feels like you're never going to grow anything else in the field that is your life. Or maybe you're looking out at our world and all you see is weeds. All you see is this war in Ukraine and a senseless slaughter of innocents. All you see is another shooting in Buffalo. Yet another example of white supremacy perpetuating violence against black bodies and those who dared to be proximate to them. Maybe you see any number of the other countless tragedies, injustices, and pain that doesn't belong in the world God intended. Or maybe it's something else. But I can tell you this, that to all of us, no matter where we are, are in that spectrum, Jesus says the same thing. He says, have hope. There is a God who can sort out and heal what we can't, what overwhelms our spirits. There is a God that loves this world, that loves you, that can grow wheat in you and through you. If you would just come to him, turn over your will and your life, take his story as your own, commit to growing this good harvest one moment at a time and trust that he can harvest new life from this field too. And that is good news. Amen. 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 So in this last song, where do you need to grow wheat in this world? Because that's the only job that God is calling you to do.